What's up, witches? I'm Taylor. And I'm Amber. And, and this, this is Waking Up, up the witch. witch. We're your neighborhood witches. Each week, we talk about all things witchy and connect with other humans in a storytelling format about navigating life on this floating rock. We're two curious ladies trying to understand the human experience, but while we do that, we think it's important to honor the people that lived here before us and honor the cultures and traditions that we're being inspired by. This podcast is about waking up the witch, which means we are learning and growing every day. That being said, we are always open to feedback on how we can do better. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the views and opinions of waking up the witch. Now, let's go ghouls! <laughs> <laughs> hey amber hi taylor what's popping um uh, i'm really full now because we just ate a whole bunch of food <laughs> we ate salads i know but it takes up a lot of space and vegetables I feel very and refreshed smoothie drink some of your smoothie um so we're just gonna kind of lead you straight into the interview today. We talked to her for almost two hours, so we're gonna have it's to so keep this as short as possible. Yeah, and we're doing a double recording today, so we'll catch you up um, when this is in your ears. It'll be next week. Yep, you'll hear all the bump dates and fun dates and all that good stuff. So enjoy. enjoy. Go ahead and uncross your feet and connect them to the ground and close your eyes if that feels safe and if you're able to. And let's start with three deep grounding breaths, breathing in through the nose and releasing out the mouth, allowing this breath of life to fill you, breathing in. And release any tension or worry from the day. This last one, the biggest one you've had all day, holding at the top, breathe in. And hold. And exhale. <sighs> and just going to invite in our higher selves to join us today helping us to step into the best versions of ourselves, our most aligned selves. And any guides, ancestors that want to join us in helping to guide this conversation today, wrapping us in love and protection, helping us to feel safe and guided. Please allow whatever is for our highest goods and the highest light for all involved today to come through. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I'm super excited about our guest today. Please introduce yourself. Welcome. My name's Esther, and I met Taylor at a hair class. Was it like a yeah. year ago? Yeah. Yeah, like September. Oh, yeah. yeah, I always kind of like at classes, you kind of find one person and attach yourself to totally. them. So <laughs> Esther was my person. We Aww. like got lunch both days yeah. and then would like ask each other questions and kind of became buddies. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. you were so like 
I don't know, just like the type of energy that I felt instantly like I could just talk to you, which was really cool. So mm-hmm. it was fun. <laughs> I'm just yeah. thinking I lost my phone and then I couldn't Uber oh there. Gosh. And then I was yeah. like, I walked there in a hundred degree <laughs> weather and I had like my weave in and I just showed up like soaking <laughs> wet and late. And, I'm, and she's like, that's the energy I like. <laughs> yeah, totally. Honestly, though, that's what I need. I feel like sometimes people in classes like, they're presenting themselves a certain way because you don't know anybody. And mm-hmm. so the fact that you were, it was like a little chaotic and I was like, I yeah. can vibe with this. <laughs> That's I me. love that. Oh gosh, yeah. I remember that crazy day for you. Yeah. It, was, it was a lot. So glad you made a friend. Thanks for joining us today, Esther. Yeah, we met in Phoenix. Yeah, so you you're currently me. located there. I am in Phoenix. Yeah, Mesa now. But yeah, okay. very hot so today. you bought a house uh-huh yeah i love it's it so it's cute a new part of the valley it's like a lot more low-key and i love it here um also something i want to mention that amber's gonna kind of freak out yes. she has a pet pig that <gasps> lives do. in her house oh my god and he has like his own like social media presence and everything <laughs> what's your <laughs> pig's name oh my gosh uh, it's a girl actually her name's clementine Ah, she she's is so, cute. so funny she's actually napping in front of me right now she has like her little bed and she's been eating grass in our yard all morning so she's like having having like a crash right now she's just vibing can i just look <laughs> at her real quick please yeah let me i don't know how to turn this around but let me see if i can like oh my gosh walk over I'm okay. animal obsessed, mm-hmm. and a pig is definitely. Oh my god, <laughs> Clementine! Yeah, she's oh, like a little loaf right now. Babies. Oh, and that cute so, little ears. So we'll need a picture of that. Oh my god, yeah. The, uh, yes. Instagram post. Please. I will give you a picture of her. I have several, as you can imagine. Oh my gosh, so. our friend Stephanie had um, a pig. His name is Jalapeno. <laughs> and he oh my god, so cute. So cute. Looks very similar and. Ever yeah. since then, my husband are like maybe maybe a pig one day, and our neighbors have a pig named Melee. It's so cute, Aww. love it. <laughs> it's so funny. I didn't know anybody who had a pig before I got one, and now I feel like everyone I talk to is like, "Oh, I used to have a pig." I'm like, "What?" Like, I didn't know it was that common. Pig life. But How old her. is Clementine? She's two and a half. Mm. She is like so sassy. She's getting yes. lazy. She loves to eat. <laughs> I love she's a lady. My kind of girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. She's like totally her mom's daughter. <laughs> love it. Oh, you're so lucky. Mm-hmm. So um, let's start from the beginning and kind of tell us yeah. about yourself and your story and like why you're here. Yeah. So I grew up Mormon. Um, mm-hmm. I was raised Mormon and I recently left the church about two years ago. So did you grow up in Phoenix? Mm-mm. No. So I'm actually from Maryland originally, oh, um, wow. which okay. is kind of funny because there's like no Mormons there. I know. Well, you I'm know? in Phoenix is kind of a, one of those bigger it's hubs like a where hub. there is quite yeah. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Uh, that's one of the reasons I moved out here actually, when I was okay. still a very active Mormon, I was like looking for community and stuff. So, um, I guess. And how old are you for context? Is, if you're, I'm safe. 27 right now. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, a so, great time to break free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're about totally, to hit your totally. pattern return. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's funny too, like 25 years of my life, like I feel like I hit so many different stages of life in Mormonism. I was like a child, mm-hmm. I was a teenager, and then I was mm-hmm. an adult. So I kind mm-hmm. of experienced so many different 
parts of life. And I don't know that that's a good or a bad thing, but I'm glad that I didn't go further into adulthood as a Mormon. Mm -hmm. So it's your journey. So so it's perfect. It's not good or bad. Yeah. It's a part of who you are and what's guiding you to where you're going. Yep. Yes. Yeah. It's a good way to put it. Um, but yeah, I guess I'll just start at the beginning. I was like writing down some notes and I'm like, I think by writing things down, I was able to realize like the, the overarching theme of my journey. Mm. Um, Mm. and so I was originally going to like, yeah, totally. (laughs) I was originally going to talk to you guys about like, um, what Mormonism is and like kind of give you a picture of it to start with. But I think it's actually goes with the flow better if I just kind of tell you a little bit about it as I go. If that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, So yeah, so I grew up Mormon. I was born into the church, but my mom, before I was born, she was Catholic. um, And she met my dad. Yeah, super random. (laughs) And converted to Mormonism, which you like never hear that from Catholicism. So that was kind of interesting. So my mom's side of the family is, I would say non-religious. My grandmother was very Catholic, but the rest of them were non-religious and were kind of a little bit confused why she was converting to Mormonism. And my dad's side of the family was Mormon, but like very offbeat Mormon. Like none of them were very active besides my dad. Um, Hmm. Some of them were ex-Mormon and had like left the church officially. And then the others were mostly just inactive. Mm-hmm. So on either side, there was not really a lot of strong Mormon conviction. And did your mom um, then convert because she was marrying your dad? So from what I understand, she was she resonated with the teachings. I think they got married okay. first. And then my dad made it clear to her that she didn't need to convert. And then after they were married, then she started taking like, they call it taking the discussions from missionaries. So then she started doing that. And then after she had my older sister, she got baptized. And by the time I was born, she was already a Mormon. But uh, yeah, so then from there, I was baptized when I was eight, which is when Mormons are baptized. And... I think that's probably when my earliest memories are in the church. That's kind of when it becomes a little bit more real to a person. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember when I was eight, you have to do this. It's like an interview before your baptism. So you basically go in. um, And I think this is honestly the only interview that I can remember with a bishop where my parents were in the room with me. For all the other interviews, you're alone. Um, But when you're eight and you're going in, you basically just have to acknowledge that you're choosing to be baptized and that you want this, which is kind of funny because it's like, really, do you know what you want when you're eight years old? Yeah, I know. Yeah. So I remember doing that and being like kind of excited about it just because, you know, it meant that I was going to be like what my family was and I was going to be a member of the church. Um, And then the baptism was kind of a blur. It's quiet. Um, I got some gifts. <laughs> That's pretty much all I remember. Um, and then from you're there, eight. It's like, yeah, because you're eight. It's like, what else are you thinking about? I was just excited. I was kind of the younger one of my friends too. So I was like one of the like last ones to get baptized. And so it kind of felt like I was joining a club, you know? Like yeah. Um, 
So yeah, that's kind of where my memories begin. That's not and then, at all. No, no, no. <laughs> super normal behavior. <laughs> um, but I, one thing I do remember actually that occurred to me when I was writing this down is I remember feeling this very strong weight of what sin was at the time, mm-hmm. because basically in Mormonism, the reason that you don't get baptized until you're eight is because they call eight the age of accountability. And I don't know who decided it, probably Joseph Smith or something, who knows, but somebody along the way decided that eight-year-olds are old enough to decide if they're sinning or not. Mm -hmm. Um, And so before that, you can't get baptized because you're not old enough to acknowledge that you're doing anything wrong. And so then the idea is after eight years old, anything that you sin, you have to repent for. Mm-hmm. So I just remember feeling like this is so morbid, but I think I was seven and I was like, if I were to die right now, I would go straight to heaven. But oh like after eight, like if I don't repent, like maybe I'll like not go to heaven. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the weight of that like hit just at eight years old, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, at least so they give you till eight in Mormonism. Catholicism yeah. right. is born a sinner. <laughs> yeah. Like, totally. You've got like eight years of freedom. You can do whatever you want. It's like, <laughs> I really should have been living then, you know. Um, so funny. So then from the ages of eight to 12 is like, that's when you're in something that's called primary. And it's basically like Sunday school, but for kids. Um And so what I remember from primary is like, there was a lot of music, everything was like music focused. And the indoctrination like really starts at that age. So all of the like words of the songs are like, I know the church is true. We follow a Mm -hmm. prophet, like all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And you're just repeating this all the time. Um, Mm. And then that's when you're also asked to start bearing your testimony, so to speak. So Mm -hmm. you're given opportunities in primary to like go up and tell your testimony, like share your testimony with the rest of the primary. Um, And it's a lot of repetition. Kids are always like, I'd like to bear my testimony. I know the church is true. I know Mm -hmm. Joseph Smith was a true prophet. It's like, you're just kind of repeating the same things that you always hear. Um, And that was pretty much all I remember from being a child. I just remember like, my friends and I all, you know, sharing the same beliefs and we would all sing the songs. Um, and then towards the end of primary, when you turn 12 is when you start to join what's called young women's. And that's like the period of time between 12 years old to 18 years old. That's so when that's you when get you're married. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so that's when things become a little bit more real. Do the boys um, have something that they do that's, from that time or is it just yeah so it's young men's and young women's so and both of them are from ages 12 to 18 um so it's interesting that you bring that up because one of the things that's so funny when you turn 12 is in young women's you recite this thing every single week it's called the young women theme I honestly don't remember how it goes it's like basically like we're daughters of our heavenly father, like blah, blah, blah. And then you like list a few things like attributes that describe like being a woman of God. And then at the end of it, it says something like your role is to strengthen home and family and like that kind of thing. It's like Mm -hmm. very, this is when you start getting like domesticated. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that is like a huge overarching theme of young women's is learning to be like a good homemaker and everything is like 
kind of curating like future wives, basically. Um, meanwhile, the men are doing like really fun things. Like they're of going course. on like adventure camps and they're like, you know, hiking and playing sports and stuff like that. Yeah. And then you're like learning how to bake. <laughs> so it's Gosh. very different. Um, Were you in like public school during all this too? Or was there like homeschooling or like Mormon school at all? I so know. I was in public school. Okay. And that was Are you still living in Maryland at this time. Yes. I was still yeah. in Maryland. I was in public school. And because I was like one of like three Mormons in my school, that became like my entire personality. Like mm-hmm. it was really exciting to me to be like the Mormon girl, you know, that like set me <laughs> yeah. apart from everybody else. And I think that also was kind of a comfort to me when I didn't fit in with other people because of like the church. It was like, well, at least they all know me as like the Mormon girl, you know, <laughs> which is kind of funny. But um <laughs> This is yeah, a sense of pride. So in, right. Exactly. I did. I had a lot of pride in that. Um, so yeah. So when you're 12 years old, um, this is the same time that the young men are getting something that's called the priesthood. Um, I don't know if you've like heard about that at all from Mm-mm. any of your like Mormon friends, but it's basically, to put it simply, it's like the power of God. Okay. Mm. So it's only given to men. And so at 12 years old, you see Blech. these like kind of crazy, <laughs> like annoying boys getting a priesthood. <laughs> and then like as a woman, the thing that you're given is, I forget what it's called, but it's a program of like earning ribbons that go along with each of the young woman attributes okay so it's like you can't have the power of god but here's a ribbon for some of the stuff that you're doing and it's like oh thanks that's the same that means just as much to me (laughs) did you find yourself being jealous or like or was it just like you know you're a young girl going through this program and that's what you're supposed to be receiving i want to know what ribbons you got (laughs) oh i got all the ribbons (laughs) what are some of the examples of these ribbons so okay so each of them had a color that corresponded with one of the values from the theme that you would say in young women's and to earn them like let's say the val the ribbon that went with the value for knowledge you would have to like learn a new skill or something like that um or like the faith ribbon, you would have to like read through the Book of Mormon or something like that. So they were all like things that you would have to do. And then your prize at the end was a ribbon. And then Completion. once you got all the ribbons, you got a necklace. Okay. Mm. It's like oh. probably worth like $2 on, you know, from some <laughs> Chinese website. But it was like all we wanted. Mm-hmm. The sparkly thing um, for the women. <laughs> exactly. Something to distract us. Uh-huh. Um, I don't think I was jealous. I really don't. I think that at the time I was very um, committed and I I loved being a member of the church. And Mm -hmm. so I kind of, I I thought of it as almost equal because I remember one of my leaders telling me in a class one time that we didn't have the priesthood and so we didn't have like God's power, but we (laughs) had the ability to have children. And so that's the same. And I'm like, totally like, yes. Yeah. Now I don't think that. Yeah. (laughs) At the time I was like, do you have siblings? I do. I have two sisters. Um, And were they heavily involved? So we were all very active. My Mm -hmm. older sister was, um, kind of always who I looked up to and she was very involved but she was also 
like a Mormon feminist. So she was the one who was like jealous. She never wanted to be like a homemaker. Yeah. She was just like, this is not fair. You know, she wants the power of God. Exactly. She was like, women should have the priesthood. And I was like, okay, you're such a bad Mormon. Like, no, we shouldn't. Like, I love her already. Yeah. She was definitely, um, someone to look up to. That's for sure. So, yeah, so that's kind of 12 to 18, you're in this. Um, and there's like a few things that stood out to me, like growing up, going to these activities and like around other female Mormon women. Um, one of them is, I remember one time we were given like a lesson on, I think it was like body, like how to treat your body like a temple or something like that. Um, and that was the first time that I realized that there was a certain like look to being a good Mormon woman. Mm -hmm. And we were expected to like have a certain body and to look a certain way. Um, I actually remember the leader at the time saying that you should be eating the number of calories of the weight that you want to be. And that like always stuck with me. It was like, honestly, that's so messed up. And no one should have said that to Oh no, I'm like, God. okay, so I want to be a hundred pounds. So like I can only eat a thousand calories. Like that's insane. Um, but just this idea of like, we are, we exist to be seen and it's mm-hmm. our responsibility to like be attractive and to be good, like domestic women for these men in the church. You um, know, what's bizarre to me is like, okay, well I watch like the housewives of Salt Lake city and stuff, Yeah, but it's like, it is very much that it's, but they like you can't drink booze, but you can definitely get Botox and like yes, yes. boo jobs and do all of these things to alter mm. your body, but you're not supposed to have coffee. Like <laughs> right. a little weird. It's so true. It's so messed up. And I don't know what the justification is. Like, why is it that a boob job is like <laughs> Yeah, no, it's not at all. And like, why is getting a boob job like somehow better for you than drinking coffee like I don't know what the mm-hmm. science is behind that um, <laughs> because it's, so it's good for the men yeah <laughs> exactly and that's that's really what it comes down to I think um yeah it's like so messed up and that was it's really sad like I regret that during those years of my life that is what I wanted like yeah I think that that stemmed from me just wanting to be perceived like I was very Mm -hmm. focused on like perception of like how people saw me and I think that I wanted people to see me as like this righteous Mormon girl and so I kind of fit my desires to be what the church like expected of me if that makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah um I think that's also because I was never somebody that fit in very well I was always like the loudest one Um, I was always the biggest one. I was Mm -hmm. always like funny and kind of like irreverent. And I think that I didn't want people to see me like as less than just because I had all of those like character traits. And so Mm -hmm. I, I almost like overcompensated with my like desires and my hobbies and things like that to prove like, Hey, I can still be a good Mormon, even though like I'm loud and crazy, you know? Um, in fact, I remember when I was like 13, we wrote letters to our future selves. One of my young women's leaders had us do this and she mailed them to us. I think when we were 18 or 20, I can't remember when she sent them back, but I forgot what I wrote in mine. And when I got it, when I was an adult, my heart like 
seriously broke because the entire Aww. letter was just me being like, if you're not married yet, then you need to change your attitude and your personality. Like you're too much and wow. like lose some weight, just like ridiculous oh my God. stuff. I'm going to yeah, cry. Like really yeah. sad. I know. Um, and of course, when I was when I read it as an adult, I was like, okay, that's insane. Like, why did I feel that way? But as a child, that consumed a lot of my mm-hmm. like thought process and behavior, um, especially during like a time that was so impressionable, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember so another huge thing that happened when I was thirteen. My dad left the church, so wow. that was like earth shattering. Why? Um, so he. Um, I don't know how it began. I think that he started reading about the church history, like Joseph Smith mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And he Not had a lot to do of that. issues. <laughs> right. Exactly. Never <laughs> supposed to do that. Um, so at the time, I wanted like nothing to do with his reasons. I was just like so heartbroken that he had been like led astray. Oh. Um, and so he would try and talk to us. And I just remember like at 13, I was so sad because I felt like he was tearing our family apart. And he and my mom stayed married. They're still married to this day. And mom was still still in the church? Okay. Yes. Yeah. And she still is. Um, But yeah, I just remember there was a lot of arguing. um, And he would – I think that now looking back, my dad felt guilty because he was the reason that we were all Mormon. And he regretted that we were growing up in this religion. And so he felt like it was completely his fault. So Mm -hmm. he was always trying to start conversations with us and try and like pull us out of it. Mm. And of course I was being told at the same time by the church that like anybody who's doing that is being like led by Satan and they're trying to like lead you astray. So it was like a very, very difficult thing for me to love my dad and respect him and feel like he's, you know, he's always been a great dad. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also the church is telling me like, no, he's like trying to deceive you. Ugh. So that was, that was difficult. Yeah. I can only imagine like the confusion that that would create mm-hmm. yeah. like, for your family was... and your poor dad, <laughs> like I know, having I that, holding so that like, guilt too. Totally. And like, now I can relate to him. Like I know what totally. it would feel like if I, you know, if I was in his position. So totally. I try and like make it up to him now. Like we'll have conversations Aww. about things and um, I think he's just happy <laughs> that I'm yeah. like out of it. But yeah, that was like a really hard few years for him. Totally. Um, and then my sister who was already, like I said, she did not really fit the mold either in a, like a different way that I didn't fit the mold. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that it also like rocked her whole like – identity as well when he left the church mm-hmm. so shortly and how much after older that, is she she's three years older than me okay so she, so she was 16 at the time okay and then shortly after that I think she was like 18 or 19 when she left the church okay. as well so yeah they were like the first ones to leave and I think that that really that actually made my conviction deeper mm-hmm. because not only did I feel the need to be defensive about it of course, you know, anytime someone's trying to like argue you on something that you feel strongly about, it just totally. naturally makes you defensive. Totally. So I became extremely defensive, but I also was so obsessed with my identity. And I realized that 
we were not seen as a strong Mormon family in the church. Yeah. And that really, really hurt me. So I kind of felt like my dad and my sister leaving the church were like part of the reason why. Um, So that caused a lot of like division and contention with me and them just because I felt like this is your Mm. fault. Like people don't like respect our family anymore. Yeah. Which it's not at all their fault, obviously. So I have Um, a question. Yeah. I, before talking to a lot of people, was kind of under the impression that if, like, somebody in your family left that you were, like, not to communicate with them or, like, um, like cutting off other members of your family that mm-hmm. aren't still active. Is that not no, true? No, and I think that's not true, and I think that's actually where the danger of the church comes in because, in a sense they are supportive of people mm. leaving. And so, you know, if you're in a cult that's like that, like Scientology, right? Yeah. And they tell you like, okay, you can't talk to these people that you love. I think that that causes the need to make a decision. Like, am I going to choose this religion or this person? Yeah. But when you're in a religion that doesn't require that from you, but at the same time is constantly telling you that these people have been led astray and that you need yeah. to like help them back – it's like you'll, you're not going to leave the church because you feel like, oh, they're supportive and loving. They just want me to help these people back. Yeah. But they're also instilling in you this need to judge them the entire mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. I think that so, maybe I'm thinking of um, like fundamental like Mormon. Yeah. 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 Probably something a little bit more. Because – that's intense kind of the same beliefs but they like separated themselves and they're more extreme correct exactly so the fundamentalist mormons are i there's different sects of them actually there's like um i actually have a a family friend that's in one where they believe that joseph smith was like a prophet and that he restored the church but that everything after him was like a big conspiracy to like find him faulty or whatever. And so Mm. they believe in Joseph Smith, but like nothing else. And then there's like another sect that believes in like everything up to like modern day prophets where things get a little bit Mm. like fuzzy. Um, And so it's just weird. There's like a lot of fundamental stuff. Also, when you (laughs) see that, aren't you like, okay, this is all bullshit. Like if everybody's got a different idea of something and they all think they're right. Yeah, like that's (laughs) really stupid. Yeah, it is amazing though. It's seriously like, I don't know if this is intentional or how this happened, but I think the church is like very, very good at finding different ways to justify every single thought that you can have. Like they kind of control your thought process. Everything that you think, like if it leads you away from the church, you're being told that that's like, not from God, that's from Satan. And so you mm-hmm. shouldn't listen to it. But then at the same time, if something's confusing to you, it's like, well, we don't have to know all the answers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, faith. like these, yeah, it comes like faith is, you know, what you have to rely on. Or they always say like the prophet are just humans. And so they make mistakes. And it's like, okay, but really this big of a mistake? Do they? <laughs> very <laughs> simple mm-hmm. explanations for yeah, very exactly. big questions. Um, yeah. So, but I don't even think that my questioning the church started then. Like I was still very devout. Like I said, I was still very defensive of the church. Um, and there's also this thing, like going back to what I was saying about, I didn't feel very like accepted or respected by people in the church because of my 
inactive family members, there's this concept called like Mormon royalty that I don't think everyone will talk about, but like um, I've heard a few people like mention this and there's like different ways to become Mormon royalty. Mm-hmm. You're either like the descendant of somebody who's like very, very far back Mormon, like a pioneer or a prophet, or you are the child of somebody whose dad is like in a high up leadership role. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or you're just somebody who's in a family with like a million kids because that's what you're supposed to do Mm -hmm. is like have a lot of kids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So most of my friends, when I was in like the Mormon church growing up, they were like, it just so happened that they happened to be like Mormon royalty. Um, And I think that comparison made it even worse because I just felt like, okay, I have these friends that are seen as like very good, very faithful LDS women. And then I'm seen as like less than because I already don't Mm -hmm. fit the physical mold or like the personality mold. And then on top of that, like I have family members that are leaving the church. Mm. So yeah, it definitely felt like I need to prove to people that I am just as good as them. I think I'm really like I was realizing at this point that the overarching theme of how I felt in the church was like just never good enough. I just never felt um, like I was going to be the type of Mormon that God wanted. Which is so sad. That is so sad. sad. Um, So, yeah. So at this point, um, I'm about like 16 years old and I started dating my first boyfriend. And I remember that I met his family and it was like a very like casual relationship. Mm -hmm. But, um, I remember I met his family and like, even they, they were like a very devout Mormon family and like, they did not approve of me. Like I was not Mm. good enough for him. And it just like continued to like instill this feeling like every single person I meet in the church is like disapproving of me. Like I'm not enough Mm. for them. And it's really hard to separate the way that you think God thinks about you versus like, if you believe that this is like the true church, right. And you believe that these people are like leaders of God, then like you kind of just assume that he feels the same way at this point. This is kind of my thought process. Yeah. Um, Gosh, and being 16 is already hard enough. So hard. It's so hard. Yeah. You already feel like I already felt very insecure at school because I was the weird Mormon kid and like Mm -hmm. I didn't have a lot of friends from school. And so then I found comfort in church. Like that's where all my best friends were. But Mm -hmm. yet I would go to church and just feel like I was never fitting in the way I wanted to. Um, There's these things called callings that you get in the church. And it's basically like, Everything that's done in the Mormon church is volunteer basis. Like nobody gets paid. So a calling is basically like your bishop will ask you to be in charge of like a certain thing. Um, And it's funny because certain callings are seen as like better than others, right? And so if you're put on a stupid committee, you feel like, God doesn't trust me. But then if you're put in like in charge of teaching or something like that, it feels like, oh, that's like better. Like I'm a better Mormon or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you start getting these callings in, even in young women's, they're not the same as like the rest of the church, but it's kind of like a practice calling. So in your specific age group, somebody will be like the president, the secretary and like the treasurer. Right. And 
I was always like not asked to be in the presidency. Mm. Like I just remember thinking like, does no one trust me? And and you're taught that the people who are giving you the callings are speaking like directly from God. So at the same time, you're thinking like, okay, well, God's telling them to choose these people. So like, why doesn't God think I'm worthy enough to yeah. be, you know, like one of these, like in a leadership role or something like that? It's just so stupid. Oh, um, my heart feels so heavy for you having those feelings and emotions on top of just surviving as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a just lot to up. like yeah, to put on a teenager. I think that, um, it would be really interesting to see like a psychologist mm-hmm. analyzing like the brains of people who grew up Mormon. Like I wonder yeah, oh what, gosh, yeah. you know, what behaviors they are taught or what's learned. Um, actually one of the ex-Mormon influencers that I follow was talking about how several of her therapists and psychologists have diagnosed the church as the equivalent as being in a narcissistic abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. And most churches, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, Most churches, I think. Um, so yeah, that's, it's very heavy for a teenager. Um, okay. So then, one of the other things that you do around the time that you're 12 to 16 is you go to the temple for the first time. Mm. So I like to call this like a gateway temple because the thing is when you first go to the temple, you're doing baptisms. Um, so obviously like you get baptized when you're eight years old. So when you go and do baptisms in the temple, when you're 12, it's like a totally different experience. You're doing them for like by proxy for somebody who's already passed mm-hmm. away. Oh yeah. Um, we've heard of that. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's like kind of an interesting concept, but the thing is about that when you go, it feels so familiar because you've already been baptized and nothing weird is going on. Um, it's like all very light and warm and you just feel kind of good while you're there. Mm-hmm. So I remember like we would go on temple trips a few times a year and we would like collect family names and do like baptisms for them. And then, you know, you're driving there. It was about an hour and a half from where I lived. And so you're driving with your friends and you're having a fun time. And then you go to the temple and everything's very like quiet and it feels very reverent and warm. And so it just feels inviting almost. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you're surrounded by leaders that you also have like grown up with in church. So everything just feels very comfortable. Um, And the reason that's important is because later on in my life, when I went through the temple, this like the next step of the temple, I was kind of expecting those same feelings. And it's absolutely nothing like that. It's a lot weirder and very scary. So yeah, it was, this is kind of when you start getting, I don't want to say like desensitized, but you know what I mean? Like it's not even, it's not grooming, but it's, it's that kind of thing where they're getting you used to it. Mm-hmm. And then by the time you go a little bit further, you're supposed to just be like, oh, this is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so the same thing that's going on with the temple is when you start having regular interviews with the bishop. So I don't know if you've like heard about these interviews before either, but you go through these interviews and you have to get something that's called a temple recommend in order to go to the temple. So I think it's like twice a year you go or maybe like once a year, but you're alone in a room with either the bishop or somebody from the bishopric. And it is absolutely the most awkward situation that you can imagine. Um, 
And are, it's just all. you and the bishop, no one else in the room? Right. It's just you alone okay. with like the bishop and that's it. So it's just a very uncomfortable like Creepy. situation. And so that's already weird because you're yeah. there and you're trying to like prove your worthiness. And at the same time, they're asking you questions that start kind of like harmless. And it's like, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you support mm-hmm. the prophet? Like all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And then it gets like progressively like, are you do you obey the word of wisdom? Are you, do you obey the law of chastity? And like stuff mm-hmm. like that. So it's just a very um, nerve wracking, anxiety inducing, yeah. uncomfortable situation that you go through several times a year. Is it and safe to assume that the bishop is always going to be a man? Oh, always. Yeah. So yeah, there's no okay. women in the, in these roles ever. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and it's also very weird because most bishops are only in their role for about five years max. Hmm. So... After you, like, let's say you're confessing something to the bishop, after that, they just know this about you. And then they're yeah. just like somebody normal in the ward again. And you're like, okay, this man's just walking around, like, knowing my sexual history and, like, How old all are these they? details of my life. They're usually at least 40, I would say. Usually older than that, probably 50s and 60s. Hmm. That is kind of weird that they're only in the position for a short mm-hmm. amount of time. Yeah, I think they do that because it's an unpaid position. And so, and it's a full time job essentially. Um, They're not really with their families during the day because they're constantly doing this kind of stuff. And so I think that's why they keep it to five years. Yeah. But yeah, it is, it's very weird because then it's like, well, what about like confidentiality? You know, does that go out the window? Yeah. Um, Weird. So I just remember like living my life because I was so devout at this time and it was so important to me to go to the temple and to, be perceived as like a good Mormon girl. And I also like, I did have a testimony at this time. Like I really did feel strongly about the church. Mm -hmm. So because of all those things, I was so afraid of ever having anything to confess about to the bishop. And so I lived my life with like so much anxiety. Like Mm. it was like anything that I felt like could be wrong. I was like, okay, like, am I going to have to talk to the bishop about this? And then I would be like sitting in the interviews and you know, you'd almost think like you're kind of seeing this man, at least when I was younger, I perceived them this way as being like the mouthpiece of God. Yeah. And so because of that, there's this assumption that like, not that they can read your mind necessarily, but, but that they, <laughs> but that they know everything. So mm-hmm. I would be like, okay, like, okay, keep it calm. Like they can't tell, you know what I mean? Like I was so oh. afraid of like, do they know something about my life? Like, are they going to ask me something? Mm-hmm. And for the most part, I think that I had very good bishops when I was growing up. So it wasn't until I was a young adult that I started to have like iffier bishops where I was like, mm-hmm. okay, this man is kind of creepy. Um, so I was lucky. I didn't have any like traumatic situations mm-hmm. um, beyond like the trauma of like, the, I don't want to be doing yeah. this, you know? Yeah. But yeah, nothing like abusive or anything like that. Um, at that point. So yeah, so I would say at this point, I'm like 18. And I wanted to go to BYU Idaho, which is the church college. Um, This is like the time I was graduating high school. And at this point, my older sister and my dad had both left the church. um, And I had curated this like, identity of being I wanted to be like a stay-at-home mom. I wanted to be married in the temple. Um, And so I felt like I needed to go to this church school and 
my complete, like the only reason I was going, I wanted to marry somebody and then just like drop out. Like that was my, I would say that to people. Like that's all I wanted. Um, I bet that happens all the time. Yeah. You've been prepping since you were 12 to be a wife. BYU is. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So I think that I, and and I don't even know that I knew what marriage would be like at that time. Of course Mm -hmm. I was so young, but I think that I just, I would see the pictures of like, the girls outside the temple who had just gotten married and it was like mm. just so picture perfect. Mm-hmm. And I think that I felt like my family was broken somehow because of the inactivity yeah. of some of my family members. And so I felt like I'm just going to start my own family and I'm going to have like, it. <laughs> yes. And this will be like my fresh start. And like, this is all I yeah. need. Um, so then I go to BYU Idaho and when I first went there, I was, not being myself. Um, I think up to this point in my life, I was not being myself. I was always more concerned about like what people thought of me than being like authentic. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I went there and I started making a lot of friends, but I just felt like I was presenting myself to them. Like I was this very devout Mormon girl and, um, I would talk a different way. Like I would wear clothes that I thought made me look like, I was super modest, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then shortly after being there, I realized that I no longer stood out by being that way. Because in high school, like I was surrounded by people who were not Mormon. And then suddenly oh, yeah. I went to college and everyone was Mormon. Yeah. And now I didn't stand out anymore, you know? So I think that's when it opened the door for me to start questioning some things and like mm-hmm. opening up my like personality a little bit more because I wanted to not be part of like this herd, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I remember I made one of my best friends, um, at college and she was like the same as me. Um, didn't fit the stereotype, very irreverent and just funny. And we did not fit in anywhere. Like we, would go to church and we would laugh the entire time. Um, and we would just yeah. like, we cussed all the time and we just did not fit the mold. Um, drinking soda. And no one, <laughs> right. Drinking caffeinated soda. Right. Um, and it was funny because I think that meeting her and like being able to voice opinions that I had my entire life, but that nobody could relate to, like how I didn't feel like I fit in and how, I didn't feel like I was this Mormon royalty that all of my friends had been. Um, And my friend from college, um, she was a convert. So she also, you know, didn't have the same like background of having a lot of history in the church. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think like voicing opinions to each other, we felt more comfortable just like being ourselves and standing out a little bit more. Um, And that entire time that I was there, I was only at BYU-Idaho for three semesters total. So this first, the first and second semester that I was there, I did not date at all. Like no, not a single LDS man was interested in me. Um, and it was like, not for lack of trying, like my friend and I would try and date all the time, but that's when it was like very clear to us. Like, this is not what a Mormon man is looking for. Like we are not the type. What's crazy is so like, as you're saying this, I'm just thinking about how literally BYU is just like, everybody's trying to find who they're going to marry. 
Mm. Yes. Because that is, that is what everybody step. in Mormonism is trying to do. So like that's besides getting your education, that's like a, the biggest part of college there. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. I think that's weird for women. I think that's the biggest Ugh. part of college. Mm-hmm. Gives me. Goosebumps. And so, <laughs> yeah. So the fact that I did not date at all was like so strange to me. I'm like, how come everybody here is looking for a spouse and yet not one single person thinks that I'm like capable of being that spouse, you know? Um, so that was weird. That was a huge hit to my self-esteem. I'd always been pretty, pretty confident in myself, or at least I thought I was. And I think that seeing my roommates who fit the mold better get so much attention and then myself get none, it was like, okay, I'm still not good enough here. Like, where am I going to go that I'm good enough? And at this point I didn't have my family to like weigh me down, so to speak. Yeah. No one knew the history of them. And so I was, I just felt like, okay, well then I must not be good enough. You know, it's yeah. like nobody else's fault at this point. It's just mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I went back, um, I went back home for the summer and then I returned for one extra semester, a third semester. Um, and I was living with my best friend, um, from the first couple of semesters. And then another friend of mine from home who was like semi-active also was going to college and she was in the apartment below us. So it was kind of like the three of us always hanging out and we were all three, like the misfits. Mm. Um, and it I'm was so fun. glad you like, had, had each other. <laughs> oh yeah. Like we had a blast and we were not at this point, I think I was like feeling a little bit better about it because yeah. I had my group, but it was like clear, like we are not what any man is looking for here. Um, The leaders of the church, like they do not care about us because we don't fit the mold. So at this point, I started to become inactive for the first time. And that was like strange for me. Like I never thought I would be that person that like didn't go to church every Sunday. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when I start, when I stopped going to church, um, that's actually like a big no, no. If you're at a church school, somebody can tattle on you and then it's possible that you'll get kicked out of school if you don't go to church. Um, yeah. So I had this roommate at the time who was like absolutely terrible. She was the worst. And she was so concerned that she was living with my friend and I who were like not perfect Mormon girls. And so she was always tattling on us. And I remember one time I got into like this huge blow up argument with her because she had like tattled on me to somebody who spoke to the bishop of the ward. And they were telling me that like, if I didn't start going to all of the church meetings on Sunday, that I was going to be kicked out. And I was, I just got into it with her and I was like, you have no right to do that. Like, you don't know what my faith is. You don't know where my standing is with God, like yeah, all this stuff. And she was just, she dug her heels in and she was so rude about it and claimed to have like a higher position than me because she was, she had been like a missionary or something like that. And so basically that was like such a direct like attack. Like nobody had ever been that direct with me about church before. Um, and that was the first time somebody was like so rude about it. And that really shook me that this is like the type of people that can exist in Mormonism that are so judgmental to your Mm -hmm. face even. Um, so after that, I decided to leave BYU, Idaho. I just didn't really feel like it was a good fit for me anymore. And I also knew that I wanted to be a hairstylist. So I figured I would just leave and go home. But I also 
didn't want to leave because at this point I was still so attached to the church and like my testimony of it. I just had issues solely with the culture of the church. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I still wanted to kind of prove like, no, I still have a testimony. I'm still strong. I just don't really feel like I fit in. So I told everybody that I was going to serve a mission, which is hilarious. I never went. Um, (laughs) And I moved home. And I think the main reason that I was telling people I wanted to serve a mission is because I wanted to, one, I wanted them to think of me as like, you know, spiritually strong. Mm -hmm. But I also wanted to be endowed, which is the next step in the temple ceremony. So that's like the whole, when you take out your endowments, they call it, or when you get endowed is like prime spiritual experience. Like that is what you look up to your entire life as being like the peak of your spirituality and Mormonism. And so I wanted to do that, but at this point, and they've changed the rules recently, but at this point, the only way that like women could be endowed without being married is really if they were going on a mission. Mm. And that was pretty much the only reason you couldn't just go like a man could. So I was telling everybody I wanted to go on a mission just so that I could get endowed. Um, and then on my way back home. So once I moved back to Maryland, I started dating somebody who was not a member of the church. Um, and so I come back, people kind of made their assumptions when I came back home that I was, that I left BYU Idaho because I did something wrong. I got kicked out. Um, so there's already this kind of judgment on you from like your, the ward back home when you like see all the people that you grew up with. And then on top of that, I was dating somebody who was not a Mormon. And around the same time, I started working at Starbucks, which is like a big no-no as well, right? Because you're selling coffee. Yeah. <laughs> so oh. it was just like, yeah, it was like naughty. It's like you work in a strip <laughs> club. Exactly, exactly. So funny. Um, and I really thought I was like, wow, I'm like, I'm breaking the mold. Like, I am just like the kind of Mormon who can do whatever I want, you know? And really, I wasn't doing anything, like even a little bit crazy. So funny. Um so I go back home and I remember that I had – it was – I was dating my boyfriend probably like for three months at this point and everyone in the – in my ward kind of – it's kind of like living in a small town. They all know your business. And so they kind of knew that I was dating this guy and that my best friend who had gone to college with me, she also came back and she was dating my boyfriend's friend. So it was like the two of us dating these two non-Mormon guys. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, really fun. <laughs> so um, I remember I went in for an interview with my bishop because I had kind of decided not to go on a mission, but I still wanted to get endowed. And I went in for a meeting with him to like get my temple recommend or whatever. And I brought it up to him. Well, no. So first we had the interview. So This was the first time that a bishop ever was just like weird to me in an interview. I remember that he went through all the questions and he knew that I was dating this guy. And he said something to me at the end of the interview. And he was like, are you sure you answered all of these questions appropriately? And I was like, I immediately turned red and I'm like, oh my God, like, what does he know? You know? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, okay, because I could have sworn that I heard you pause on the law of chastity. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like, did I, like, what have I done? Like, does he know something? And it was just like, 
the most like at that point I'm like does God know like did God like yeah. speak through him or is this man just being like creepy like I have yeah. no idea have you had sex um, at this point so I hadn't had sex um okay. but I was I was making out a lot with my boyfriend and yeah. personally like probably from the time I was eight I was always masturbating like from the yeah. time I was a child yeah. and so this is like a huge no-no in Mormonism yeah and I think my entire life up to that point, I kind of got away with it because I was like, it. I remember starting that when I was like so young mm-hmm. that I think most I was girls like, can't. Yeah, I think most <laughs> girls do. They don't even know what they're doing. Yeah, right? we're like, ooh, this um, feels good. <laughs> yeah, and so it's we're just kind of like whatever. And yeah. I think because I had started so young that it was almost like I thought in my mind like, okay, well that can't possibly be wrong because I was a child. You know what uh-huh. I mean? And so in every interview, I would always have this anxiety that they would ask about it, but I always justified it enough in my mind that I would like cover it up, right? Mm-hmm. And in this interview, and then when I started like making out and like going a little bit further with my boyfriends, it was like, I felt like, well, if I was ever going to confess something about it, I could just play it off like I'm only confessing for this part. Right. Mm-hmm. So I like, yeah, it was like a very just unspoken, like shame filled thing my entire life, but never something that I brought up or anything mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but because he, because no bishop had ever pressed me on it either. Yeah. Like a lot of girls when they grow up or like boy, I'm sure boys too, the bishop will ask them specifically and no one had ever done that with me. And so it was never an issue. And so this was the first time I was, I think, 19 at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, this was like the first time a bishop had ever like questioned me on something that I was like, mm-hmm. oh my God, like, and I felt so much anxiety. Of course um, it's that. Of right. Of course. Well, it's always that. It's <laughs> yeah. like these bishops are like creepy and disgusting. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're just gonna, I don't know what their reason is, but um, basically I brushed it off and I was like, I decided like, if I'm going to repent of anything I'm gonna do it privately like this I'm not gonna like tell this man that I don't trust yeah and so and I was a grown well not a grown adult yet but I was like older at this point so I think I felt a little bit more secure but the weirdest part was after I kind of like shut him down and was like no like I'm being honest he immediately like shifted direction and asked about my friend and was like, well, what? I know that like you and, you know, so-and-so are, you know, dating these boys. And um, I know that she's gone a little bit more inactive because she at this point was not as active as I was. Mm-hmm. And he was like trying to get me to tattle on her about something. Uh-uh. And no. I, was like, I was like, no, like, I don't know. And so then he said something like, okay, well, um, you know, I just want you to keep an eye on her. And just, like, let me know. Ugh. And I was like, what the hell? Like, okay. Like, that's, like, as if I'm going to go back into your office and be like, yeah, my friend just had sex, you know? <laughs> so weird. Also, not your fucking place to say so. Yeah. How rude. No, it's, like, so bizarre. Um, so, yeah. So, that was, like, the first, like, weird experience I had. Um And then at the same time, at the end of the interview, after all that weirdness, I kind of just like brushed it off because I was like, the main reason I'm here is because I want to ask about like going through the temple. Mm -hmm. And he, um, so I brought it up to him and I said that I was hoping to be endowed and that I wanted to see if I could schedule an interview for that. And he said to me, I will never forget this. He kind of 
walked, like tiptoed around it at first and talked about what a special experience it was and then said to me that I should not deprive my future husband of the opportunity of going through the temple with me and that it's like something that he really deserves to experience. So he was not going to let me. And I was like, what? what? Like that, you know, like I was so independent at this point and I was mm-hmm. starting to feel, I think because of the friends I made at school too, I was starting to feel like a little bit more empowered and like I wanted to do things independently. And so for him to just be like, no, you need a husband to do that. It was like so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that interview was like, all of the weirdness about it was the first time that I was like, I actually don't really know about this church. Like I think I'm going to start questioning things because now I've had this experience of going to school, seeing what it's like to be surrounded by a ton of Mormons. I did not like it. Um, It was the opposite of what I thought it would be like. And now I've come home. I feel immediately judged. I feel pressured. And now I feel like my bishop is like a huge misogynist, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, so I definitely started to question things at that point. Um, and then that's when I was working at Starbucks as well. So I met so many amazing people when I was working there. Um, and I don't know if you've ever like seen the kind of people that usually work at a Starbucks, but it's a very diverse crowd. Um, I don't know how that happens. I don't know if it's just like the vibe (laughs) that they want to work there, like the hiring, like I have no idea, but a lot of like diversity of thought and um, Mm -hmm. just so different from like what I was raised with. Mm -hmm. So I became very close with a lot of my coworkers and they were all completely different from me. And so that was like really eye opening that I met like so many amazing people, but they were either like atheist or spiritual or a different religion or, you know, bisexual, like asexual, gay, like straight, all these different things that I'd never really been around. Um, and seeing how great they were and like what amazing Mm. people they were, but they were so different. It was like, okay, I don't really know if this is like (laughs) the way I want to live my life. Like seeing everybody what the devil looks like. Sign me up. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So at that point, I also met one of my um, best friends from Starbucks. And after about a year of working there, I, I was working there mostly while I was going through hair school. So when I graduated, um, I decided that I wanted to move. I was just like, you know, I think I need a fresh start. I hate the culture. Again, at this point I was still blaming the culture for like all the issues I had with church. Mm -hmm. Um, none of it, was because of like the doctrine or anything like that. It was always because no, just the people are judgmental and not Mm -hmm. because like, oh, well, the doctrine is what's making the people judgmental, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just thought if I just move out of like my hometown, if I'm away from all of this, then I'll get a fresh start and meet somebody who has my same faith, but also respects me and like all that kind of stuff. So my friend and I decided to move and we decided to move to Arizona. So that was about a year, a year of planning. Um, and I remember like telling everybody that I was going there and I kind of viewed it almost as if like Arizona is kind of adjacent to Utah with Mormons. Mm -hmm. So I kind of thought, like, oh, people see me moving there and they see that like, this is still what I want, but I'm going to do it differently. Like I'm going to do it my way. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so yeah, it was just kind of so many things that I did in my life. I'm like, why was I doing everything so that people would like think a certain way about me? You know, it's because so they ridiculous. made you feel that way. I know. And it's so it's sad. I'm like, what fault. would my life yeah. have been like if I wasn't concerned about that? You know, I think there's um, still like this element that we all like want to be liked and be accepted. Mm-hmm. Like it's very much human nature. And that's kind of mm-hmm. the dangers of these types of religions is right. because they prey on that and know that we all want to be accepted. Like we need to be accepted right. as humans. We, we are still animals who need to be in a pack and need to, you know, feel a part of community it's very important to us and Mm -hmm. church is a great place for community or it can be yeah (laughs) yeah yeah you know like they find ways to make you feel seen or to feel fit in just so that they can reel you in and make you see how you're not living up to you know the man in the sky's viewpoint of what it is to be a human in this world and then Mm -hmm. so then you doubt you doubt yourself your whole life everything you do you fear and that that's what religion is for like no matter what it is in my I mean I don't know all the religions of course I so I can't speak for all of them but a lot of them like especially Mm -hmm. these like more Christianity type background ones it's it's all Mm fear-based right they really instill that into your brain and you're just trying to like live up to these expectations that they've put on you. And, you know, I don't, I'm sure so many people, whether they realize it or not, are very much in those same shoes that you've lived in of like not feeling accepted and not feeling good enough. And it's fucked up. I remember I read something that was talking about how, as humans, we're programmed to have like a cult-like behavior. Like yeah. our brains are wired that way because it's like an evolutionary thing. Like it helps us survive. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. because of that, like it's really easy for people to fall prey to either cults or high yeah. demand religions because it provides you with all the things that you your soul really wants, which is Completely. community and like, yeah, and like self-confidence or so to speak, you know, what you yeah. think is self-confidence. Totally. Um, and so whether you're in religion or it's politics or whatever it is, it's so important mm-hmm. to always be like decalting and thinking of the opposite side of something. Um, even if it's something that seems good, it's like, like following a jam just... band around America for 20 years. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of cult like behavior. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Or like, you know, it's just funny. Like I, even with politics, like I have friends on so many like ends of the political spectrum. And I think that one of the best things that I've seen with all of my friends is the ability to like have conversations with people and like hear and open your mind up to think like, okay, I might be wrong about this one thing, or let me understand it from this perspective, which is something that obviously in Mormonism, like I wasn't really allowed to do. I was told to just like put any, any thoughts that didn't align with what I was already being taught. Like they were put on a shelf and I wasn't supposed to question anything. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's something that it takes a long time to like learn how to do that and to make that a practice, but it's so important. Um, So yeah, so at this point, I am moving to Arizona, and I started dating this guy, dating, um, (laughs) talking to this guy who lived there. I actually met him after I was already like planning on moving, 
Um, but I began dating him pretty much as soon as I moved. And that was, it really set a lot of things in motion, I think, because he was just not a good guy. Um, so we dated for about a year and, um, during that time, there was not really any commitment. I didn't feel like valued or respected by him. He was a member of the church. And I remember that shortly after we broke up, he met somebody much, much younger than him. I think she was maybe 18 and he was like 27. Um, and they got engaged within like maybe three months and Mm -hmm. they got married. And that was like, that really gave me an understanding of what I was to a lot of men, particularly in the church, which is Mm -hmm. a lot of women that don't fit the mold who have big personalities or don't physically look like these very petite, blonde, submissive Mm -hmm. women. Mm -hmm. They're almost fetishized, I think. Um, Like the men want to date you and have their fun with you, have like sexual experiences with you, but then they never want to commit and they will never marry you. They don't see you as somebody that they can push around or that will follow them. Um, So yeah, that was the first experience I had with dating in Arizona. And I think that I'm so grateful for it, honestly, because several of the other experiences that I had after that were very similar. And I think that they just continued to show me like what, what the culture of Mormonism would look like in my life Mm. if I were to stay in it. And like, just Mm -hmm. how I didn't really want that. Um, So yeah, so I'm living in Arizona at the time. I was struggling to make friends. Every church that I would go to, I just did not fit in. The culture was almost worse than it was when I was at my church school. Um, it felt very small town and judgmental. Um, but I was still, I was like, I'm going to do Mormonism my way. Like I, these men want nothing to do with me. These women are judging me. The leadership doesn't acknowledge me, but I am going to prove to them that like God will still love me as a Mormon and I can still be faithful. I'll just do it like a different way, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, which of course, Mormonism does not want you to do things a different way. So that didn't last long, (laughs) but, um, that was my mindset. So I ended up getting endowed. I had a, um, a bishop who was actually very supportive of women getting endowed before marriage or before missions or anything like that. So when I went to him, he was very supportive of it. And so I decided to go through that. And that is really, I think where like the final straw, you know, um, that led to me leaving the church. I don't know if you've heard anything about the LDS, like temple ceremony, but it's jarring. It's a lot. Um, you should just tell us in detail because I'm very interested. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's changed a lot over the years. And in fact, they've changed it even recently in the past couple of years, they have made it a lot more watered down and faster because it was very long. Um, So it's kind of interesting the experiences people are having now with it are different than they were in the 90s or in the 50s. Um, And even when I went like five, six years ago. Um, But basically the temple endowment ceremony goes through two main things. There's the initiatory and then there's the endowment. When do you get your big underwear? That's during this. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Really fun. I thought you were cracking a joke. This is real. No, it's real. Oh, my gosh. It's real. Yeah. They give you underwear? Um, Yeah. And it is the worst underwear you've ever put on. It is absolutely horrifying. 
So you go through something first called the initiatory, and that is there's kind of three parts to it. The first part is you receive a new name. Okay. And it's supposedly like your name for heaven or something. Like, I have no idea. It's kind of a secret password almost. Like, what was yours? It's Zena, Z I N A. Very weird. The okay. only reason I would remember it is because of that Disney Channel movie that was like Xenon. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so your whole life, you kind of hear about the temple. And it's like, it's hyped up to be like the most spiritual experience, right? And like, you hear little bits and pieces of it, but it's very secret. It's very sacred, so to speak, is what they say. And so I always knew that you would receive a new name. And so I was always very excited about that. I'm like, I wonder what my name's going to be. And then when you go, it turns out that the name just corresponds to a date that you go. So it's like, every time you go, like people know what your (laughs) name is. And it's supposed to be like secret, like no one's supposed to know your name. So when you go and you find out that like everyone on that day is getting your same name, it's kind of like, Mm. oh, this isn't like as mystical as I thought it was going to be, which is kind of funny. Um, But once you get your name, then you do something called like the washing and anointing. And um, that's when you basically – it's kind of set up in like a quadrant. So it's a room divided into four smaller rooms and curtains in between. And you go through each one and they put like – either like water or oil on you, like a drop. It's all women at this point. Um, and they pray over you. They like do a blessing. This part's actually not like bothersome at all. Um, it kind of feels like, you know, nice. It's kind of like, oh, we're blessing your body to like do these amazing yeah. things or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that part you're like, oh, this is kind of nice. And then after that, you go through, once you've been through initiatory, then you can go and get endowed. And the endowment is broken up kind of into like three segments. So it goes based on like what's called the plan of salvation in Mormonism, which is um, God's plan for everyone on earth. So it's basically like we existed in heaven before, then we came down to earth to live, and then we will be judged and sorted into the kingdom that we belong in, whether it's like the top, middle, or bottom kingdom. And so the endowment ceremony starts at like the bottom kingdom. It's like representative of that. And then you move each segment of the endowment ceremony, you move through the next kingdom. And then it ends in the celestial kingdom, which is the highest. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where you exit. So it starts, it sounds like it's not that bad, right? It's just very symbolic. Um, I forgot to mention that this was not what I experienced, but back up to, I think, the 90s, you were naked when you got the initiatory done. Wow. So thankfully, that did not happen for me. Oh, my um, gosh. But yeah, very weird. And because they do ch- like touch your um, chest at one point, and they touch different parts of your body. When you're fully clothed, it doesn't bother you so much because yeah. it's just women. But yeah. like. I feel like if it was back in the 90s and I had gone through, it would have been like very, very weird, you know? And is it women performing the ceremony? Yes. So during that portion, it's only women in the initiatory. Then the endowment is – there's men. Okay. Um, Yeah. So the endowment ceremony starts (laughs) – No, I'm like, thank God. I would have walked out of the church like right then and there. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So – The endowment ceremony starts and before you begin, there's like a speaker 
And it's basically asking you to consent for what you're going to go through. But the problem with this is that it's not really informed because you actually don't know what's going to happen. You know, I was going to ask that. Yeah. Yeah. So they say like, oh, if you don't, if you're not okay doing these things, like going through the endowment ceremony, then walk away now. But it's like, you actually don't know what's going to happen. Mm. So how can you make that decision? You have to consent Um, with faith. Right. With faith. So then you go in and I cannot express to you how bizarre it is when you see about a hundred people, like 50 men, 50 women, all dressed in the same very, very strange outfits. So the women are in like long sleeve white floor length dresses and there's like this headpiece that you wear. Okay. Um, It looks kind of like a veil bonnet type deal. Mm. And then the men are in fully white outfits, like shirts, pants, belt, shoes, everything. And they're wearing these hats that look like the Pillsbury Doughboy hats. Okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it doesn't sound that weird until you see like 200 people in these outfits. No, it sounds weird. Yeah, like, no, that's definitely weird. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm just envisioning like, yeah, so, like everything else is all dark black too. Like, like you're just like in this empty like, room <laughs> and yeah, all these people sterile. are standing around. It's yeah. very like, it's quiet. It's sterile. It's like the room is decorated to represent each kingdom. So there's like murals on the wall of like okay. the murals are pretty and everything, but it's just so bizarre. Um, wow. And then at different points in the ceremony, there's also other clothing that you put on and one of them that represent different things. And one of the pieces is a belt that has like this apron that goes around your waist and it looks like fig leaves. Okay. Mm, okay. So that just makes it weirder because everyone's in white and then you have these bright green, like fig leaves covering your genitalia. It's just very, very strange. Mm -hmm. Um, So the endowment ceremony is basically a series of commandments given covenants, so to speak is what they call them. Um, So you covenant to do something, and then each covenant has a secret name and handshake that goes along with it, okay? (laughs) So yes, very, very funny. And if you haven't heard this before, it's actually almost identical to the Mason Masonic ritual that they do. So um, Joseph Smith, I think think the history of it is he wanted to be a Mason and they wouldn't let him, I think. That is what I've Um, heard. Yes. And so then he's like, I'll make my own. And it's mm-hmm. very weird. Um, so yeah, so basically you're learning each of the things and then the handshake and whatever, and you move different pieces of clothing around. Um, so that's already weird. Then you're watching this movie at the same time. Oh. And it's so strange because it's like a good quality movie, right? So you're like, who signed up to be the actors in this? And somebody is Satan and somebody is like Adam and Eve. And then there's like God and Jesus. And it's basically the creation story, but like also modern day. It's so weird. Mm -hmm. Um, And at one point, Satan like looks directly into the camera lens. So it looks like he's looking at you and he's like threatening you. Oh my Um, God. It's very weird. And then you have to covenant different things. I remember one of the things you covenant is to not participate in loud laughter, whatever the fuck that means. I have no idea. Fuck that. Can't um, do it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I never understood that. Another one is that you have to, it's like the law of consecration. And it's funny because the wording literally says that you will give everything up to your life 
to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, not to God even, which would already be kind of weird, but it's to a church, you know, which is very culty. I was going to say, that sounds so culty. That's the only part that sounds culty about this. No, I mean, like all of it, but that for sure is like, okay, too many steps too far. The outfits were for me. Yeah, the outfits are what got me originally. And of course, the first time I'm going through, I'm like so excited about this because I've been looking forward to this my whole life. Yeah. And then I just have to pretend like this is not strange. I'm like, yeah, yeah, totally normal. God wants us in these outfits, (laughs) of course. (laughs) Yeah. So each time that they say something, it's over a loudspeaker and it's supposed to be the voice of God speaking and it's very messing. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. So at one point, I will never forget there's this point when I forget what it is um what you're promising to do at this point but God so to speak over the loudspeaker says something like God will not be mocked and it's like very very like as we and it's the creepiest thing you've ever heard and it and then it's like Mm -hmm. dead silence after that for like a minute well, because everyone like, is probably in their minds like, what the fuck? And yeah, so exactly. like, just in case you forgot, don't mock yeah. this or me. Right. <laughs> it's very, very creepy. Um, and actually, so this also changed before I went through for the first time, but up to about like the early 2000s, when you were um, promising to give everything that you have um, to like the church or whatever, you also had to mime your own death. So you would like, you would like slit your throat and like mime disemboweling yourself and cutting your tongue off. Like very, very strange. So I did not do this in the temple, um, thank God. But I do know that everybody else who was older than me did, you know. Um, Yeah, that's very, very strange. So basically that's the whole thing until the very end you go up. Oh, your no, this was the weirdest part, actually. <laughs> You're wearing your underwear, by the way, at this point. You get oh, dressed okay. in that beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be that when you were naked, they would dress you in it. But I now have heard changed. that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I already had mine on. But then in the middle of the temple ceremony, there's like the weirdest thing that happened. And this was the moment. I know it's weird that it took me this long to think this. But this was the moment that I was like, okay, this is a cult for sure. Um you're sitting down and there's like a prayer that goes on. So in the temple, there's like a prayer roll where you can write something down, like somebody that you're thinking about, or maybe something that they're going through and you put it in a basket. And it's like, you're always told like, Oh, people in the temple are going to pray about this for this person. So it sounds nice. But when you're in the middle of the ceremony, what happens is they take all of that and they put it in like this little, I forget if it's like a basket or something, but all of the names are in this basket. And then they have men and women from, the ceremony come up so you can like volunteer. I never volunteered to do this because it looked terrifying. Um, but you're taught the proper way to pray, so to speak. So everyone holds hands, um, like boy, girl, boy, girl. You have to have boy, girl, boy, girl. Two boys cannot hold hands, heaven forbid, of right? Of course. So if there's not enough people, somebody else has to come up so that it's like male, female. And then somebody will say the prayer. So picture this giant circle. Everyone's wearing these outfits, holding hands. Somebody speaks the prayer, but then every, like, they would pause. And then everyone in unison will repeat the words after Mm. them. Mm. It is, you can't even imagine what it's like. 
it's so weird to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very monotone. It's, it's just so strange. Um, so then after all of that, when the ceremony's done, then you go, um, up to the veil to go to heaven essentially. And all of the names of the covenants and the handshakes that you've learned, you go up to the veil and somebody on the other side, it's usually an old man. It's always a man, usually Mm -hmm. like a hundred years old. They put their hand through the veil and you have to do all the secret handshakes and then say the secret (laughs) passwords to this man. And then if you do it all correctly, the final password is your name. Or one of the passwords. I forget if it's – I think it's the first one or the last one. Oh Your God. new name. And then once you say everything, then they pull you in past the veil to the celestial room, which is just this very quiet white room. Okay. What happens if you get it wrong? Do they just like push you away? Or like, <laughs> No, they just – there's like usually an older lady Try next good. to you who has everything mem- memorized and she just tells you everything. So that's always oh, what I did because okay. I could never remember – Um, so yeah, so basically that's the whole ceremony. It's like I said, a lot more watered down than it used to be, but even with that, it was, it's long. It's probably two hours. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, it's long. Um, so after I got endowed, it was not at all what I was expecting, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that because I'd been looking forward to that my entire life and I thought like this is when I'm going to really feel closest to God Mm -hmm. and I felt so distant from him there, it was like, okay, I really don't know about this, you know? Yeah. Um, And then you also at this point, you have to wear the garments all the time. Mm -hmm. So you're given this underwear that's like basically biker shorts and a cap sleeve shirt. But they um, go up pretty high. Made from like – Yes, they go up pretty high, and it's I've basically made my, from like hanging out polyester. Yeah, they're not they're not cute. They're white, right? <laughs> they are not cute at all. They're white, um, and they have like different materials, but most of them are like polyester, which is very bad for you to wear as mm. underwear all over your body. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to wear them all the time. And if you're not wearing them, it's actually enough to get you like your temple recommend taken away, um, and all that kind of stuff. So. That was really, really hard to get used to. And that really messed with my autonomy, like looking in the mirror and always seeing myself in these garments that I didn't recognize my body in. I felt very insecure. It was Mm. so hard to find clothing that fit. Um, I felt like if I didn't wear them, will I go to hell? Like what's going to happen? So that was very strange. Um, So at that point, I started – really questioning things. And I decided that I needed to figure out if this was true or not, because I was like, if it's not true, I can't keep living this way. Um, like nothing in my life is lining up to what the church wants for me. And I don't want to keep like sacrificing things and, you know, exhausting myself trying to live perfectly for something if it's not even true. Yeah. So, um, I, started getting tattoos at this point, which is funny because that's not really a huge deal <laughs> except for that everyone in my church was very judgmental about it. Uh-huh. Um, and I began reading something called the CES letter, which is essentially like the guide to leaving the church. And it is a man who left the Mormon church who in a final attempt to stay decided to write 
a church apologist with all of his questions about church history Mm. and see if the apologist for the church could explain things to him and make it better. And he decided after he left the church to publish this with all of the findings that you can read it for yourself. Amazing. Um, And so, yeah, it's amazing. So I just found out so much about Joseph Smith being like a pedophile and all the things that they lied about, like he was a con artist. Just a weirdo, um, yeah. Just a weirdo, yeah. He has a really yes, major con con artist. He has a huge, like, creepy, messed up history. Um, A lot of the people, the founders of the church, have a very like messed up history, and so you hear about all these things, and I just realized like this is not true. Um, One of the biggest things that I found out was. there's something called anachronisms. I don't know if you know what that is, but Mm-mm. it's basically when something in history does not line up. So that's how you know it's not mm. true. So for example, if somebody had a picture of Abraham Lincoln holding an iPhone, you would know that that yeah. photo is not real yeah. and it's been tampered with because obviously they didn't exist. Um, so the Book of Mormon has many, many of these where the Book of Mormon will mention things. And it, the Book of Mormon was supposed to be written in like ancient times, right? Yeah. Um, but it has several things that did not exist at the time that it's talking about um, or never existed. So that kind of thing, I I think the entire religion rests on the Book of Mormon being true because mm-hmm. if the Book of Mormon's not true, then Joseph Smith's a fraud. Mm-hmm. So when you prove that the Book of Mormon is made up, then you prove that everything else is. Yeah. And that's when like everything just started like crumbling down. And, um, but before I will say, before I reached this point, I had met my now husband and I was dating him and I was kind of like one foot in the water still. I hadn't read the CES letter yet. And I was still kind of like afraid to figure things out. I was afraid to leave. Um, and is this after your ceremony? Yes, this was after I was endowed in the temple because that was a few years before. Was he a part of the church? He was not. So my husband was not really raised going to church. He's like a Christian, but not – he's never gone to church. He just kind of like, you know, has faith and is just kind of like, "Eh, whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, which was so bizarre to me. I'm like, (laughs) you know, this was somebody who like he smoked weed and he drank and I was like, oh my God, like how can you be a Christian and like do these things, you know? And he's like, it's not that serious. I'm like, oh, you're right. Like it's not that serious. So anyway, yeah. So when I met him, I think that that was like what kind of gave me permission almost to start reading further about church history because I met this man who was so respectful and so supportive of me and like loved everything about me. And just like as I was and thought I was so intelligent and funny and like all these things that I'd always dreamed of somebody thinking of me. Because mm-hmm. you are. And all he your shiny wasn't. Things. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, all my shiny things. And he wasn't Mormon. And so I was like, you know, how come this man can be so much more respectful and kind and open minded mm-hmm. and loving than any member of the church that I have mm-hmm. ever met? Um, and so seeing that, it kind of like, he was so supportive to the point that he was like, okay, if you want to stay Mormon, like, that's fine. We'll just, when we are married one day, like we'll kind of alternate, like, you know, go every once in a while, but I, Mm -hmm. I won't ever convert, but you know, Mm -hmm. like I'll support you. And so then I, um, I remember I went in for an interview with my Bishop because he was worried about me. He had heard that I was dating someone who was not Mormon and 
he called me into his office and I was like, at this point, I'm kind of like about to leave, you know, I'm, I'm like not really mm-hmm. in, invested anymore. And he's like, well, um, I know you're dating someone who's not a member of the church. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, just be careful of that because I know that you're endowed and basically insinuating that me and my um, boyfriend at this point were having sex. And mm-hmm. at that point, if you're endowed and you have sex, you it's enough to get you like formally um, like punished by mm-hmm. the church um, and risk like excommunication. So he was like, you know, just be careful of that. And I was like, I said to him, I was like, well, you know, uh, my boyfriend is not a member, but he is more respectful of me than I've ever experienced from a man in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was very like upset by this and and just said something like, well, you're a pretty girl and, you know, you should just be careful. Ew, and it was up. very creepy. Yeah. yeah. And after that, that was like the last time I went back to church. I was like, they don't accept him. They're judging me. They don't even know me. And at this point, I still wasn't having sex. That was still a yeah. boundary that I think was so deeply ingrained in my mind yeah. that that was like one of the last things to leave um, because of the fear that I had associated yeah. with it. And so um, they they just assumed this. They didn't know that I still wasn't having sex with him. And yep. it didn't matter, you know. Um but they were just so judgmental and, um, yeah, just so rude about everything. So I never went back to church after that. And that's when I read the CES letter and formally decided to leave the church. Um, and it was kind of interesting because at that point, I think when you go inactive, like I did a few times in my life before that, you kind of hope that somebody will rescue you, you know, you want, I think you want to know that people care about you enough to come after you if you leave. And, at this point, obviously, I didn't want that because I was like, well, now I know it's made up. Like, yeah. I don't really care anymore. But it was still really interesting to see that not once in my life did somebody come after me. Like, no one ever decided to, like, check uh-huh. in on me when I left. Um, obviously, my friends that were still members of the church, they did. But, like, in a way that wasn't – they were checking in on me. It was yeah. more just that they kept in touch with me and still loved me. Yeah. But no one tried to – like, no members from the church, like, the leadership reached out and – you know, tried to get me to come back or anything like that. So that was kind of eye-opening too. I was like, I never felt like I mattered in this church. And then sure yeah. enough, I, I didn't really, you know, yeah. and that's okay. Um, mm. So yeah, that was, I think the, it was a lot of time and like experiences leading up to it. But I think once I left, I never looked back really. Mm-hmm. Um, How old were you? And yeah, I was... I was 25. This was two years ago. Um, my mom had a hard time with it, I think, because she's the only one left. My two sisters had already left at this point and my dad. So mm. they were all like very excited. They were like, finally, Esther's yeah. going to stop talking to us about, <laughs> about the church. But um, my mom was like, are you sure like you're never going to come back? And I didn't want to cause the contention that I saw with my dad when he left. Yeah. And so I never really like wanted to have those conversations with her about my reasons, but I was just like, no, I'm not, I'm done. Um, so yeah, ever since then, it's just been like a process of like unlearning and healing from things that I didn't realize were like ingrained in me for so long. And it takes a long time. When you look back at that, do you think I was in a cult? 
A hundred percent. But I think that so many things are cults and we don't even yeah. realize it. Yeah, so I don't, yeah. So I, I don't necessarily fault it for being a cult. And actually it's funny because of all the religions that I've experienced, um, from going to see like, not all religions, but all the Christian religions, I'll say that I've experienced from going to see other friends' churches or whatever. I actually think that Mormonism on the outside, not when you get involved in like the deep doctrine that's and the rules mm-hmm. and the judgment and all that, but mm-hmm. on the outside, it's one of the most forgiving religions. Um, they don't really believe in hell. And pretty much everyone, no matter what your faith is or what you were, atheist, you know, Buddhist, Jewish, whatever, pretty much everyone goes to some form of heaven, which is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like one of those religions where I don't really feel that it was all bad for me necessarily. Yeah. I think that it did a lot of harm to me, but I also think that there were so many good things that I got out of it, like mm-hmm. friendships that I still have to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really did meet so many, you know, amidst all the people that were judgmental and that I had bad experiences with, there were three times the amount that were like really wonderful people. Yeah. Um, a lot of them have also left the church at this point. So I wouldn't say that it was all bad, but I do feel like it was a cult. And I think that it's one of those things where, because it's not a cult where I felt like I was, I lost my entire identity to. It's almost like at first you don't feel like you're allowed to have resentment towards it. You know, like, Mm -hmm. like I didn't really go through the trauma that somebody in like Scientology went through or something like that, or, you know, Yeah, or like a fundamentalist Mormon church. Like mm-hmm. I didn't go through that level of trauma, so I don't deserve to feel this way. And then like learning that actually I do. Like it might not yeah. look the same way, but there's a lot of stuff that I did go through and I'm allowed to like process yeah. it and feel resentment and yep. then like learn from that, you know? I'm glad that you see that because I was going to comment on that. Like I think we get stuck in like, well, my trauma isn't the worst possible trauma. So mm-hmm. therefore I should be grateful that I didn't you know, and it's like, it still comes back to this weird acceptance of things. And like, Mm -hmm. I think both things can be true. And, you know, like no matter what the type of trauma it is, like I have things that have happened to me where I've done the same thing where I'm like, this could have been a lot worse. And it's like, yeah, but Mm -hmm. this thing still happened and it's still affecting it, it affected you then. And it still has some residual effects today. Right. And so it's still okay to know that you had this experience and to that you're worthy of processing it however you need to process it and that you're worthy of healing would you consider yourself spiritual now or like just atheist or still kind of religious like where do you stand so I'm figuring it out. I don't even know that I would call myself anything. I I do still believe in a God of some kind. So I would yeah. say that I'm more spiritual. I'm not I'm not atheist. I think that no matter what, I would have to believe in something because yeah. I just feel like I've experienced so many different friends who have varying beliefs in something and mm-hmm. they all have this connection to something that's higher. Yeah. And so I don't think that I could ever like get rid of that. And mm-hmm. I actually, I would probably still consider myself a Christian of some kind. Um, mm-hmm. I resonate a lot with the teachings of Jesus. I still do, but I think that I am learning to, I don't necessarily view Christianity as being like the sole answer. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think that I'm viewing it more as a way to, to teach people to love and accept others instead of using it in the way that a lot of Christian religions yes. are, are using Opposite. the Bible. So we need yeah, more there's a book that. that I read. Totally. And I think, I think so many people leave religion and they leave, leave Christianity altogether, which is fine. Like I can't yeah. blame anybody, anybody for that. You know, I might have ended up in the same place, maybe still will one day. Yeah. But I think that there's so much good that I did get from some of the teachings mm-hmm. that I didn't really want to get rid of all of it without giving it a fair chance. And yeah. I'm reading this book right now. It's called um, God Breathed. And it's basically this man who is talking about the way that the Bible is read is not necessarily the way it should be read. And it's read as like something literal yeah. and mm-hmm. something that is used to like stir up hate and bigotry and to target groups of people. And in reality, it's a book of stories that people decided were important enough from their time, Mm -hmm. whether they were actual stories or whether they were like folklore, whatever it Mm -hmm. is, they decided that they were important enough to use to teach other people about values and instill like good behavior and like good morals. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm trying to kind of read it that way, you know, and get the positive things out of it without viewing it as a literal book. I love that. That's how I've always kind of felt. um, I mean, I honestly don't think I've ever read the Bible in any way that was Mm -hmm. making sense to me, like that I could comprehend in a language that makes sense to me. But um, yeah, I've always thought like these are good stories and that's what they they're are. Stories, yeah. And they're here to yeah, give us some sort of um, you know, idea of a proper more proper way to behave in the world and right. lessons to be learned if you are choosing to do something that you know, there could be consequences, but it, yeah, not in a right. literal fashion and like I believe Jesus was a person for sure. And, um, but I don't believe that it is this great, great, like my personally, I don't think it's this great grand, like son of God, Virgin Mary, mm-hmm. whatever, Correct. you know, like, I don't, Same. I don't believe right. that personally and whoever does, that's fine. If that's what you believe, like I'm, right. I'm not judging other people's beliefs but then at the same token i don't want to be judged for what i believe because none of us actually fucking know truthfully no, and that's what it comes down to and i totally agree with like how it is used to breed hate and it's mm-hmm. that's not what god would want like should right. there be god or whatever that is like that's actually not what no. they would want <laughs> so right. it's really 100%. wild how people um, yeah, do I love that there's a book like that that exists that helps to kind of open your mind totally. in a way to be able to view it as what it probably is, you know, which is stories. Right. You know, there's something that you said that reminded me of this, but when I read the Book of Mormon, um, and I never really felt convicted in it, and then I read the CES letter that basically proved that the Book of Mormon was made up. Mm-hmm. I call it like fan fiction of the Bible. It's really just copying <laughs> yeah. several parts of the Bible. Um, but because of that, when you like fan realize fiction. that the Book of Mormon was completely made up, at first I was like, okay, well then was Jesus completely made up? And I think it's like you said, like you believe he was a real person. Mm-hmm. I came to that conclusion too where it's like, 
you can prove that Mormonism was essentially made up by a man who just wanted to make his own rules. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe he was high. I don't really know what the reason We've heard was that. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, with the Bible, it's like, I think that there's enough evidence to prove that Jesus was a real person. And it really comes down to where your faith is, whether you want to believe that he is the son of God, a prophet, a spiritual leader, or just a, like a rabbi, a good person. Um or you another know, cult leader. I think, or another cult leader. Who knows? Um, yeah. Right. Whatever you want to believe about him, you can't really like get rid of the idea that he was a real person. And yeah. so I think that's why it's been easier for me to still give myself time to figure out like what I believe about him and like yeah. what I believe his purpose was because yeah. it's not like I could just write it off like, oh, some man just made this up one day. Totally. You know? Yeah. I yeah. think you're so fresh in it that that will change probably mm-hmm. all the time for a long time I well, think so too I think that you, we're always changing yeah. yeah not only are you deconstructing like what you've been taught your whole life but you're also now opening your mind to all possibilities and belief systems and that's like for us like you know this podcast is called waking up the witch and for us like mm-hmm. which is really like more of an empowering term um, and word and way to label ourselves because we are like, okay, this belief makes sense to me. And so I'm going to adopt that as, as something that I believe in. And it's not like church of the witch and this is what you have to believe in and here's what you have to wear and what you have to do to become a witch. Like for us, it's honoring each other, honoring the earth, honoring nature, Mm -hmm. being kind, like all of those things mean witch to me. Yeah. Be nice to yourself. Be nice to others. Be nice to the earth. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Um, so I saw that you were sharing some of your story on like Instagram and TikTok, correct? Yes, I am. Um, the Instagram is called discovering Esther. So, um, it's just kind of like, it's almost like a diary for myself of Mm -hmm. like, I don't care if anybody's listening or if a hundred people are listening or, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't matter to me. I'm kind of just processing things out loud and yeah, just figuring out who I am along the way. That's how we feel about this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So we are at the time because it's been, I mean, we're like an hour. Yeah, I feel like we could keep talking and like love your story and your process and um, very grateful Mm -hmm. to just, we're very grateful for being vulnerable and feeling safe to share here with us and, our listeners, I think it's important and gives people an opportunity to really, again, see themselves, even whether or not they grew up Mormon. Yeah. I think a lot of what you've said is very relatable and yeah. important to talk about so that we all know, like, it is a part of our life experience and we get to really break out of the shell and bloom into the beautiful people that we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. So we like to ask all of our guests two questions at the end. And the first question is, what is something that you do for self-care that you just can't live without? Oh, that's a good question. I think um, I love to journal Mm -hmm. and 
I also recently love skincare. <laughs> I feel like yeah. that's like my <laughs> daily thing. When I have time, I do like a, a longer routine, but like just doing something to just quiet down and like mm. take time for myself. And then journaling too, just to find like stillness and work through like feelings and thoughts. Oh, yeah. So good. Not go outside because you live in Arizona. <laughs> right. Oh, Usually yeah. I will. Not right now. <laughs> yeah. And then if you could ask your younger self one thing, tell. what if you could tell your younger self one <laughs> yeah. thing, what would that be? Whether it be Esther when you were eight years old, all the way up to, you know, yesterday. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I think I would tell her that there are so many people who are going to find her like special and worthy and beautiful mm-hmm. and amazing and mm-hmm. a church will not define her. Mm-hmm. And I think that I would tell her to focus on finding that herself. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, crying. Okay. That's a good one. Um, we're gonna do a card poll. I'm gonna pee, but you should go forward with it since we're okay. Kind of running out of time. Okay. okay, cool. So, um, Rebecca Campbell, she's one of my favorite deck creators. If you find yourself wanting to go down a rabbit hole and like find mm-hmm. something, I love decks because they are just a really good place to, um, provide extra guidance or help you just to like, you know find some answers to these internal questions and stuff that kind of beat us over the head sometimes. So, yeah. Um, but on our podcast, we like to pull one for the collective. So that is also for ourselves. So the message is for Mm -hmm. us and everyone listening. Um, and I got two new Rebecca Campbell decks. I love the artwork and just the way that she, like her, what she has to say is just really beautiful, I think. So mm-hmm. the deck I'm going to pull from today is called Work Your Light. It is an oracle deck. And so I'm just going to shuffle these around. So go ahead and take a moment to like take some deep breaths and focus on whatever message you're needing to receive today. And whenever you feel like a little zing in your body, your mind, or soul. Tell me when to stop. Okay, stop. Okay, wonderful. Oh, I don't know how to say this, so we'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mintakon? Mintakon, I think. Um... Hopefully it'll give me a better pronunciation in the book, but um, it's a really beautiful card. It's like kind of space and earth brought together. There's a beautiful mermaid who's sitting on this ledge um, overlooking um, like a body of water. It's really pretty. And it says longing for home, belonging, the original light workers, which already feels pretty on point for our conversation. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's like the last card. Let me see it. I found it. Oh, yeah. Really pretty. Yeah. We can send you a picture too if you want. Okay. I know. It's like so pixelated. <laughs> like I can kind of see a mermaid. <laughs> yeah. She's real cute. She got a purple tail. Okay. Mintakans. Oh, wait. Mintakans. Yeah. Mintakans are a soul group who originated on the planet 
in the constellation Orion. They were first star beings to travel to Earth and believed to be the original light workers. The Mintakan's home planet is thought to have been a water world with water so pure that you could see through it for miles. For this reason, Mintakans feel most at peace and at home when in or around crystal clear water. Oh, that reminds me, you're in Arizona. Have you ever been to, is it Strawberry, Arizona? Ooh, I haven't, but I've been wanting to go there. Yeah. Oh my. Up north a little bit. Thank God. It is the most beautiful place in Arizona. Really? Yeah. Okay. I need to go. You I've been thinking go. about going there. I'm trying yeah. to think of like, there's like, it's like a crazy road to drive down. You'll pass like this goat farm, which I recommend stopping at if it's mm-hmm. still there. It's I haven't lived out there in over 10 years, but yeah. Um, oh my gosh. It's like this really kind of scary drive down, but then you can like camp around there and it's just the most beautiful, stunning water ever. I'll have to find yeah. a picture and have her send it to you. Um, totally. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> it just reminded me of that. Um, they're here to teach us to see the potential in everything and the light in all beings. Many Mintakans have an odd longing for quote unquote home and struggle with feeling like they don't belong. It is thought that this is due to their home planet no longer being in existence. If you pulled this card, it could mean that you are a Mintakan or are longing for a sense of belonging and root chakra healing is necessary for you to feel secure and safe. Perhaps you feel this longing to find home without knowing where, where that is. Perhaps you've been moving around a lot and yearn for a place on earth to call your own. If so, you are being called to connect with Mother Earth and create it for yourself now. To choose where you feel most at home and create it rather than waiting for the feeling of belonging to come. Aww. That is so That is perfect. like so spot on, I feel yeah. like. <laughs> that is yeah. this card is for you for sure. Yeah, totally. And, and again, like other people listening for sure are going to feel that as well and like be able to mm-hmm. see themselves in your story. Um, yeah. And then it says, work your light transmission Hold the card to your heart and say, so you could just hold your hands over your heart, envisioning the card. I'm going to read this and have you repeat after me so you can instill this message into your heart. I allow myself to be truly here. I allow myself to be truly here. And at home on this planet. And at home on this planet. I release any grief around not belonging I release any grief around not belonging or feeling held and call in the perfect home or feeling held and call at the perfect home. Mm. Damn. So good. (laughs) So good. That's like really what I needed. I feel like honestly. That's why I love using. Do you have any Oracle decks that you've ever played with? So I used to, and I got them at like anthropology and they honestly were not very good. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I'll a, have to get the one you were talking about. Yeah, I'll, mm-hmm. We'll send you pictures. Um, every yeah. I have three of her decks now. and She every, has an online store too. Yeah, she yeah. is just incredible. 
I, yeah, I just love her decks. They seem to speak to me personally mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different options. Um, so I can yeah, send you totally. a picture of the deck that we pulled from as well as the card so that you can yeah. kind of look into a little, mo- little bit more. And if you did want to have something like that, just trusting your gut and your intuition and allowing yourself to be guided to something that you feel attracted to. But I just, oops, I think it's so great for reflecting, you know, and especially when yeah. you're feeling lost or uncertain, then it's just like a little message for you to help guide totally. you. So yeah good. amazing thank you so much for your time i know we took a lot of it yeah thank you no day. no thank you for listening to me and all oh. of my thoughts and rambles loved and it yes absolutely <laughs> loved it um well go drink some water i know yeah mm, take <laughs> a bath <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you guys thank you so much we'll talk to you later Bye. Find us on TikTok and Instagram at Waking Up the Witch. Please email us your witchy stories, ghost stories, corrections, and advice questions to wakingupthewitch at gmail.com. Love you. Love you.